Hello everyone out there. Welcome once again to Reason for Hope. So good to see you joining us here today. A Reason for Hope is now a long live broadcast. We are live on various uh, online platforms that I'll be going over in just a moment. And it's guided by your questions on the Bible as well as giving a uh, little updates on what's going on in the Middle East and out in Israel. Um, things going on in the world and update. We also have a lot of time on our show to your Bible questions. So you can send in questions you have on the Bible. Could be a verse or passage of scripture. Maybe even something you're going through in your life. You'd like a biblical perspective. What does the Bible say about this, that, and the other different topics? Um, Christianity as a whole, maybe even other uh, worldviews and religions as it uh, relates to Christianity and the Bible. Anything along those lines, as long as you know that we're going to use the Bible um to answer your questions and as long as it's an honest and sincere question we certainly appreciate that that's what we're here to do here at a reason for hope so we're very glad you're joining us and sending in your questions and comments on uh, all those platforms which like i say i'll be going over those in just a moment my name is dave robson i'm your host today i'll be fielding those questions as they're coming in with us today on this uh, wednesday uh, evening pastor scott richards he's the senior pastor here at calvary christian fellowship at tucson good hey, to see everybody. you uh, great to be seen yeah how you doing <laughs> i'm doing fantastic good. you have a little update for us in a in a moment or two well little is a relative term <laughs> <laughs> maybe large <laughs> heavy along on on these things we will try to keep get you up to date yeah well, we appreciate that i appreciate that also with us pastor sean richards your um your offspring over yes. there <laughs> yes in case nobody knew that. This can doing? be confirmed genetically. Yes, that's yeah. right. That's right. In many ways. Yeah. How are you doing? I a little <laughs> uh, sinus issues, but that goes with the territory. We're yeah. experiencing what they call El Nino here in Arizona, and that means that we're going to get more rain over winter than we should have gotten in summer. Mm. And with that brings a little bit of uh, allergies, hopefully not sickness, but we'll be coping with that. Yeah, I'm feeling it today too. I'm a little spacey in the head and sinus region as well but, but i'm uh, spacey all the time that's right <laughs> can <laughs> yeah. i blame that on allergies no excuse no that's, that's just <laughs> sorry dear i forgot to bring home the stuff it's my allergy <laughs> that's just right. trying it out on you guys how did how'd that sound uh, they, they, <laughs> pretty good incredible yeah. yeah yeah no i think you'd get away with that yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> well enough of this idle panther as i mentioned reason for hope <laughs> is live broadcast we're with you monday through friday 5 to 6 p.m here in Tucson, Arizona, Mountain Standard Time. It's a, a ministry and outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson. So calvarychristianfellowship.com is a great home base for you. If you'd like to go there to our website and uh, check out what's going on here at CCF, or if you're in the Tucson area looking for somewhere to uh, to go to church, to come and fellowship, get in the Word, and all that good stuff, you're more than welcome to come and check us out, calvarychristianfellowship.com. You'll find details there, but we're right by Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway. We're streaming live to our website. If you follow that Watch Live tab, that will take you to our live page. Or if you type in ccftucson.online.church, that will take you to the same place. And you'll see the video. You can sign in with a username. And uh, there's a chat function where you can send your question. I'll be right there with you. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next show. And you'll see a schedule of upcoming events as well, in case there's something that interests you there. Um, you can uh, follow along with us. That's a great, like I say, great home base for you, ccftucson.online.church or calvarychristianfellowship.com. Follow the Watch Live tab. We're on Facebook as well, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson on Facebook or facebook.com slash ccftucson. Don't forget to like and share if you're on Facebook. We'd appreciate that, but we're streaming live there as well, and you can send in your question through the chat function. 
We have an app uh, for your mobile device. Once again, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store, and you can watch us on your mobile device. And if you have Roku or if you have Apple TV, we have channels on, on there as well. So in your channel store, you can add us as a channel, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Once again, Roku or Apple TV, watch us on your big screen. We're on YouTube as well, streaming live. A Reason for Hope is the channel name there on YouTube, A Reason for Hope. It's a great place for archives. If you go to that live tab anytime we've been live, it will archive there for you. So if you missed a show or you want to recap a question, I've been a bit better at uh, putting the questions up on the screen so you can scrub through and see what questions that uh, we dealt with or rather find those questions in our broadcast. So that's a great study tool or, um, you know, for your own edification. So a reason for hope on YouTube and that live tab will give you all the archive, but we are live there right now. Don't forget to um, to like and subscribe and all that good stuff. And you can send us your question in through the chat function as well. Uh, Pastor Scott here is on Twitter. If you want to get updates from him, obviously right now there's a lot going on in Israel. A lot of um, news articles that he comments on and shares and uh, biblical takes and all that good stuff. So if you're on Twitter, Scott R4H, Scott letter R number four, letter H, Twitter, you can follow along with him. How's things on Twitter oh, these days? Hopping, hopping, I bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've uh, got a little uh, semi-new feature. We do something called the Odyssey Files, where we uh, feature uh, current events and comments on things that are going on. But uh, now we've, uh, after last weekend, uh, we've uh, taken a riff from uh, Jeff Foxworthy, his uh, classic. If uh, say you only believe there's two kinds of music, country and western, you <laughs> might be a redneck. Well, we've uh, got one now where we uh, post things and say if you believe X and such, you may be under strong delusion. Yeah. Uh, today's uh, entry is if you believe the favor of God can be measured by the balance in your bank account, you may be under strong delusion. Right. So uh, things along that line. <laughs> yes, very it's good. Whatever, whatever hits my brain. So. Might incorporate that into time in the shade. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you certainly could. Yeah, so we've reached could. our 50th episode in that. Oh, wow. For those who don't know, Time in the Shade is? It's just a little uh, comedic apologetics resource to humorously address bad arguments or objections to Christianity or just dumb things happening that are relevant to the gospel. Yep. It's Very based good. off of a weekend update with Norm MacDonald. Yeah, you can find that on YouTube as well, right? Mm -hmm. Time in the shade. Yeah, it's same place as my YouTube Bible studies. Gotcha. Yeah. He he does a a spot on Norm Macdonald. Yes. By the way, it's, yeah, uh, it's even it's better than your Donald Trump. Yeah. I might say myself. Yeah, and spares oxygen. <laughs> the book of Nehemiah. <laughs> Nehemiah. <laughs> well, we, there's lots of uh, of the cross banter going on here. <laughs> there is. There is. Yeah. We're in that kind of mood. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, back to back to Twitter. I'm 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 grateful for you doing that because there's so many viewpoints out there as to what is happening in the world right now. So I appreciate you giving us uh, a biblical view. It helps me out personally, and I know a lot of us as well. So Scott Arthur H on Twitter. You can follow along with Scott there. We're on Rumble as well. Not live, but we post video content there, Reason for Hope Bible Q&A on Rumble. And then our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questions for hope, that's spelled out, at gmail.com. You can send us your question there as well well so whatever platform you are joining us on once again send your questions in we'll give a little update here i keep saying little but maybe <laughs> maybe substantial who knows but we will have time at the end of our show for your questions as well so do send them on in if you listen to us on the radio reach radio or another radio affiliate we're glad that you're joining us but keep in mind you are listening to the last show that we did 
pre-recorded we're not live with you on the radio so once again questions for hope at gmail.com is our email address you're welcome to use that drive safely if you're on your drive time and uh, we're very glad that you're out there well without any further ado we love to pause to pray ask the lord to speak and move us and dedicate this time to him pastor scott would you like to pray i for would us? love to i enjoy Let talking me. to god let's yeah. do it lord what a privilege that we can speak to you here and know that our voices are heard in heaven and lord you not only hear our voice you hear the heart behind it thank you lord uh, that although you've searched us and known us you know our down sitting uprising before there's a word on our tongue you know it all together uh, you still love us and uh, you still use us even with all of our faults and flaws mm -hmm. thank you for the power of your spirit to do that lord we come to you uh, as those that want to rightly handle your word of truth and, and to realize that these aren't man's words about god but it's your word to man and Lord, we want to have that sense of reverence, that sense of awe, and yet that sense of excitement uh, that comes from knowing that not only does your word lead us into truth regarding how awesome and how true and how uh, faithful you are, but it also reveals your love for us. So we pray that those things would be revealed in the things we talk about, the questions that we answer, uh, and that this uh, broadcast would be fully and totally dedicated into your hands to use in whatever way you see fit. Thank you for your love and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So what is the latest going on you can well, share with us? Well, quite a, a few things going on. Uh, earlier this morning, uh, the Al-Shifa Hospital, which literally is Arabic for Allah is healer, uh, was finally uh, breached by Israeli forces. As uh, many of you know, we've talked about the Al-Shifa Hospital as being uh, uh, built over uh, one of the most important command and control centers that uh, Hamas has in the region at this point. Mm. Well, uh, Israeli troops finally got in there. There was a, a huge battle going on. Some 200 uh, members of Hamas were apparently either killed or captured in the assault. And wow. the tricky part was trying to do this without uh, having collateral damage with the doctors, nurses, patients, and so forth that were in yeah. Al-Shifa. But this is what Hamas does. They use human shields uh, in a, a uh, very bold and uh, very unapologetic way, uh, although it is a war crime by any definition. That mm. seems to be shutted under the rug in a lot of these discussions. Uh, so Al-Shifa was breached. Uh, the Israeli soldiers got in there. They discovered that there was a very uh, complex and highly developed uh, structure underneath the hospital. But uh, the head honchos of Hamas, as you would probably understand, uh, used their elaborate tunnel system uh, to escape and uh, uh, left uh, quite a bit of confirming data behind. Uh, weapons, uh, in fact, uh, <laughs> was kind of ironic, right by an MRI machine. Uh, there was a, a stockpile of, uh, say, uh, Russian Kalashnikov rifles, uh, grenades, things along this line. And if anybody had turned on the MRI machine, well, you know what an MRI is. It's a magnetic resonating, resonating yeah. image device. Right. It's a huge magnet. Uh, if they had turned that on, the grenades and such would have flown right for the thing. And, well, there you go. Uh, so apparently it was unplugged and out of use while Hamas used it as a uh, storage place for their weaponry. Uh, there are those who say that the, the uh, seizing of al-Shifa is uh, anticlimactic. I don't necessarily think that's the case in that uh, we're told uh, statistically that uh, Israel has now eliminated 30 percent 
of the Hamas tunnel system. And I think that's pretty remarkable, especially in light of the care that the IDF has to exercise in terms of dealing with the tunnel structure. And, and so you don't get the wrong idea. We think of a tunnel structure and we just tend to think of like a mine shaft. But these uh, tunnels, these concrete reinforced tunnels, some of them are over 200 feet below the surface. Some of them connect to huge infrastructure that has been built underneath the surface, huge conference rooms, huge weapon storage rooms, uh, some with uh, elevators built into it. Uh, the, the cost of this infrastructure is in the billions and billions of dollars. So if you want to know where the uh, humanitarian aid, so to speak, including that paid for by the United States taxpayer, uh, that has flown in, that has flowed into Gaza has gone largely gone to the construction of uh, these uh, preparations for all-out war uh, with Israel. Now, 30 percent uh, is a pretty significant chunk, but there's a lot more to go. Uh, there are over 300 miles of tunnel systems underneath uh, the Gaza Strip right now, and uh, because there are still over 200 captives. Uh, from Hamas being kept in these uh, places, uh, Israel just can't go in and blow them up. They mm -hmm. still want to hold out hope that these hostages can be released or rescued. But uh, Al-Shifa is out of business. It, uh, in fact, uh, confirmed uh, that uh, Hamas was using it as a terroristic base. So uh, the uh, propaganda of the contrary just doesn't hold water. Uh, we are told that Iranian militias, speaking of other hot spots in the Middle East, have continued their attacks on U.S. positions in Iraq and in Syria. Uh, over 55 confirmed attacks on U.S. positions. A number of casualties involved were not told specifically how many, which does not explain why our State Department has announced that they are freeing an additional 10 billion, with a B, dollars, uh, to the Iranians. Uh, we've talked a little bit about this on our, our uh, Twitter feed. Uh, there is a uh, cold civil war going on in our current administration uh, between those State Department appointees that are there for life that came in under the Obama administration that believed the best way to achieve peace in the Middle East was to uh, use the carrot rather than the stick with Iran to literally bribe them into uh, joining with and behaving like any other civilized nation. Well, uh, the more these bribes went on, including a uh, C-130 transport plane loaded with gold bullion, the more we've discovered that Iran uses those uh, funds uh, to be the largest uh, state sponsor of terrorism in the region, if not in the world. Uh, so another 10 billion freed for Iran, that's going to help quite a bit. Having said that, fascinating article ran in the Jerusalem Post Apparently, uh, the head honchos in Hamas uh, met directly with the Ayatollah Khomeini in Tehran. Uh, there is a picture of uh, the uh, Israel Khomeini uh, meeting, uh, Ishmael Khomeini, I should say, meeting with the Ayatollah Khomeini. And uh, the, uh, he was pressed uh, to uh, get more directly involved in this conflict, wanted to turn, say, Hezbollah loose on Israel. But the supreme leader apparently turned around and pressed Haniyeh to silence those voices in the terror group. This is a quote from the Jerusalem Post. Publicly calling for Iran and its powerful Lebanese ally Hezbollah to join the battle against Israel in full force, a Hamas official told the Reuters News Service. 
Hezbollah, too, was taken by, by uh, surprise by Hamas' devastating assault last month. They killed 1,200 Israelis. Its fighters were not even on alert in villages near the border that were the front lines of the 2006 war with Israel and had to be rapidly called up. Three sources close to the Lebanese group said, we woke up to a war, said a Hezbollah commander. We talked a little bit about this, the fact that uh, Iran was planning a three-front attack against Israel from Hamas in Gaza, from uh, their uh, cohorts, the uh, Islamic uh, Palestinian Jihad, uh, that also operate out of that region, but also out of Syria and also out of Lebanon. And uh, Hezbollah is uh, no small organization. They have over 100,000 trained, trained and equipped troops. Uh, last estimate, over 250,000 rockets of uh, varying sophistication, certainly more sophisticated than the ones being used in Gaza. Uh, so uh, for Hezbollah uh, to be caught flat-footed on all of this, how could that happen? Well, uh, we believe that Hamas was so convinced of Israel's weakness uh, that politically they were divided. Uh, you know that there were those who were protesting uh, the planned judicial reforms of the Netanyahu administration. Uh, a number of uh, IDF reservists, including pilots, said they would not serve if they were called up uh, because Netanyahu was running uh, the scene. But as our good friend Amir Sarfati uh, once puts it, Israel is a hand that often looks divided like this, like an outstretched hand. But when war comes, it always unites together as a very strong fist. And so Hamas grossly overestimated the division in Israel. They grossly over uh, underestimated Israel's uh, ability to respond and to unify in the face of this threat. And uh, so they launched into this attack thinking that they could uh, maybe even take Israel all by themselves. That's why they called the operation Al-Aqsa Flood. The Al-Aqsa Mosque, for those of you who don't know, is the name for the shrine on the Temple Mount in uh, Jerusalem, where uh, they consider it the third holiest shrine in Islam. Now, the Saudis disagree. They say the Al-Aqsa Mosque is really in Saudi Arabia. But suffice it to say, uh, repossessing uh, this mm -hmm. place, the Temple Mount, uh, was one of their ambitions. They thought that this would happen. They thought that uh, their cohorts in crime would join in the attack. Uh, perhaps even Jordan and other nations along this line finally getting their revenge on Israel and that they would conquer Jerusalem. Well, as we can see, uh, that was not the case. So uh, what's going on in Lebanon? Well, there are uh, regular exchanges back and forth between Hezbollah guerrillas and uh, their, uh, oftentimes their, their anti-tank missiles going into Israel. The occasional drone goes over. Israel responds by taking out these emplacements and so on. It's sort of a tit-for-tat kind of a thing. But the one thing that uh, Hezbollah leader Hassan Nasrallah does not want to see happen is for Israel to open up another front against Hezbollah in Lebanon for a couple of reasons. First of all, because of Lebanese politics. Uh, one thing that uh, Nasrallah remembers is the 2006 war uh, where Israel did such damage to the Hezbollah-controlled south of the country uh, that it took years to rebuild, uh, and uh, the Lebanese economy suffered as a result. Uh, the idea of uh, the Lebanese government and even the official Lebanese army turning on Hezbollah and turning it into a civil war is something that Nasrallah 
definitely does not want to see happen. That's why he'll make semi-blustery speeches, but no major uh, provocative attacks. That's why that uh, incident where a, a, an Israeli electric company uh, worker was thought to have been kidnapped by Hezbollah uh, was such a uh, uh, ticking time bomb last weekend because a kidnapping of an Israeli citizen would be enough to trigger the full wrath of the IDF uh, against Hezbollah in Lebanon. And Hezbollah at this point simply does not want to see that happen. All of this is to say uh, we've told you that uh, when these sort of things happen, uh, there's a number of significant things uh, prophetically. Uh, we've told you about Isaiah 17, the prophesied destruction of Damascus. And Israel warned Syria that if they got involved in this particular fray early on, uh, that uh, Damascus, they said, uh, officially would be destroyed. They would level it. Uh, and uh, that will probably happen in the future. Probably not now, unless things change in a significant way. Uh, we've also talked about Isaiah 83, uh, which is a prophesied uh, attack of a semicircle of 10 people groups that assault Israel all at once to eliminate the memory of Israel forever. Uh, we've said that as long as Jordan doesn't get involved in this conflict, Isaiah 83 is off the table, barring some radical change in events. Psalm 83. Uh, Psalm 83, yeah, I should say. Uh, you know, barring some radical change in events. 66 chapters. Uh, not, uh, <laughs> not going to uh, see uh, Psalm 83, I think, fulfilled in the immediate future. So what are we looking at? I believe what we're looking at is another birth pain. Uh, in Matthew 24, Jesus said there would be wars and rumors of wars. Now, he's not talking about just in this world, like the Cuban Missile Crisis or the Vietnam War or something like that. People say, well, there have been wars forever. Yeah, there have been wars forever, but uh, for, well, the better part of the last 2,000 years, none involving Israel directly. So the wars being spoken of by Jesus directly pertain to God's chosen people. And so I think what we are seeing is one of those birth pains. It's growing to a fever pitch. Uh, the whole world's like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And then it's going to calm down for a short time. And the other thing about birth pains is that the distance between them uh, shortens and the, mm -hmm. the uh, intensity gains uh, the closer the big event, which we believe is the coming of Jesus for his people, comes. So I think that's what we're looking at long term. Uh, I hope that's what we're looking at because uh, things are uh, certainly changing. Yesterday uh, in the Washington Mall, there was the largest pro-Israel rally in history. Over 300,000 people wow. showed up for it. And at great personal risk, uh, our own uh, FBI uh, rated it uh, a level one uh, potential terrorist threat. Mm. The idea of a suicide yeah. bomber or something like that, going into a crowd like that, probably pretty likely. Right. I think only by the grace of God were we spared this sort of thing, as yeah. well as probably some intervention from our intelligence services along this line. That's the good news. The not so good news uh, for the United States was, although politicians from both sides of the aisle, senators, congressmen, Democrats, Republicans alike, showed up uh, to offer their support of Israel, we did not see Joe Biden there. We did not see Kamala Harris there. Uh, we did not see Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State there. They didn't even uh, send Mary, Mayor Pete down, the Transportation Secretary, to make an appearance. Mm. Uh, so, you know, we talked about this civil war, in a sense, that's going on behind the scenes, 
and the administration. You have the pro-Iranian faction, largely put in place by the Obama administration. Then you have the old uh, school Democrat faction, which Joe Biden would represent, that almost uh, reflexively, uh, out of habit, supports Israel. Mm -hmm. Because again, Jewish people in America are an important part of the democratic coalition. Um, the fact that not a single one of these key people showed up at this particular rally, mm -hmm. I think tells you that there is a lot of conflict going on behind the scenes. And it yeah. also explains this schizophrenic foreign policy that we're seeing. On the one side of the coin, perhaps one of the more compelling reasons why Hezbollah in Lebanon has not entered and why Iran says, we're not getting involved. The Ayatollah Khomeini made that statement. We are not getting involved in this conflict mm -hmm. at this point. Well, what they mean really is that their proxies will fight it out. They don't, they like working with their hands but can't stand to get their fingernails dirty. But uh, the, the fact of the matter is one of the reasons why this happened is because there is such a huge amount of United States military buildup in not only the Eastern Mediterranean, but you talk about a semicircle going all the way down to the Southern Mediterranean through the Suez Canal into the Red Sea onto the entrance of the Persian Gulf. Uh, th there's no way that a guy like Hassan Nasrallah, who realizes that sooner or later Israel all by themselves is going to beat them senseless, mm. uh, is going to launch a bunch of his drones and his uh, state-of-the-art missiles, knowing that uh, not only Israel has demonstrated uh, another sophisticated anti-missile system that keeps knocking these missiles sent from the Houthi rebels in Yemen up towards southern Israel, but uh, also that you have this carrier group, the USS Gerald Ford. You also have the USS Eisenhower. You also have a uh, submarine that apparently has the capability of launching hundreds of uh, drones and uh, sophisticated cruise missiles and so forth, even some with nuclear power. Well, this tells you why Hezbollah is not involved, but it also tells you why the Ayatollah is mining his P, P's and Q's. No incendiary rhetoric coming out of there uh, whatsoever. They're like, uh, we're really not sure we want them to come in and take out our nuclear program, and it looks like they're ready to do that. They're just looking for an excuse. So the old school Democrats in the Biden administration are the ones that have given the go-ahead to this military buildup because they are pro-Israel. They, they, it's just what they do. But the other side, the entrenched uh, State Department apparatchiks were put in by the Obama administration are incredibly pro-Iran. Uh, they believe that Iran can be bribed into being a good actor, hence the releasing of another $10 billion worth of money. The last time the $6 billion was released, what did we get? We got the Gaza War. Who knows what this $10 billion is going to uh, hold in our future. So um, lots going on. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Obviously, that's going to come when the Messiah, Jesus, returns. Pray for the Jewish people that God uh, would uh, speak to their hearts. There would continue to be this really mass revival as a percentage of people coming to believe in Jesus as the Messiah yeah. among the Jews. But pray also for the Palestinians. There's nothing more tragic and heartrending than to find out what Muslims and Islam uh, really believe, what their primary documents have to say, and how hopeless it is. In fact, there was a uh, major article uh, that, uh, that came out uh, that uh, was uh, in uh, the uh, Washington, uh, it was the Washington Free Beacon that ran it, that interviewed uh, a number of survivors from the near Oz kibbutz 
that uh, managed to hide in uh, in uh, safe uh, rooms and, and such. Uh, one of the things that they observed were children between the ages of 10 and 15 uh, being used by Hamas to gun down, murder people, mm -hmm. encouraged to do that themselves. Mm -hmm. Not just come in and steal bicycles, which they did. Not just uh, take advantage of the opportunity. Uh, one woman, uh, Natalie Yohanan, a 38-year-old English teacher, says she thinks every day about what she would say if she met the young Gazan woman who took over her house. As Johanan huddled in the safe room with her husband and two young children, the woman sang and danced, heated up leftovers, and watched TV on the couch. She turned on Netflix and changed it to Arabic, she said, and she stayed in my house for hours, for hours, for hours. It was humiliating for us to know this young woman was in our house, coming and taking whatever she wanted. She wasn't even afraid. That's what was very hard for us. Johanan said the woman was accompanied by a group of armed terrorists. Uh, she served the men drinks and told them which items she wanted them to loot for her. They took her jewelry, makeup, designer underwear, shoes, sunglasses, and passport, as well as her children's clothing and toys. Uh, I think she's a young mother. A young mother, said Johanan, whose father and dog were killed in the kibbutz on October 7th. It's very hard for me as a mother to think about a woman who came to my home and saw the pictures of my kids and came to steal and terrify my kids. As for what she would say to the woman, Johanan said, I would tell her she's a thief. That's all she is. I think she believes there's honor in stealing, being part of the thing they did to us, but there's no honor in that. Well, you know, another person said that several children uh, about ages 6 to 10 uh, appeared in Hamas outfits, little junior Hamas outfits. Uh, you could see people on their knees begging for their life. Uh, this fellow, uh, Raziel Tamir, said, uh, and uh, the commandos gave some of the children rifles and directed them to execute hostages, which they did. Terrorists shot more of the hostages and loaded the survivors into the truck. So you're talking about 10-year-olds being taught to do this, doing it without uh, a bit of hesitation whatsoever. Right. So uh, if anybody comes up to me and says, you know, um, I think people at heart are basically good. Well, I, I think any one who would take that position uh, would see that die when you've got 10-year-olds gunning down helpless yeah. Israeli citizens. Right. And remember, that's nothing new in Islamic history, especially during the time of Suleiman the Magnificent. Uh, there were there was a Arabic term for it, but essentially co-opting and kidnapping child soldiers and forcing them, regardless of whether they came from a Christian or a Hebrew background, forcing them to attack and raid the villages of the people they were conquering, who themselves were also Christians and Jews. The famous historical figure, Vlad the Impaler, was one of those child soldiers, escaped Islamic captivity and brainwashing, and used their own tactics against them. So when we see this trend of barbarism and pure evil in our day and age, understand it's been going on for 14 centuries because it all comes from right here. Mm. For those listening on radio, I held up my Quran. Yeah. Sobering times. Very sobering. Yes. Thank so you I said, that. Uh, is there any such thing as a small prophecy update? Yes, these days? no. But, but take, take heart. I do believe that a good case can be made uh, over the fact that uh, this particular uprising is rapidly running out of steam. Uh, it may take uh, months to finally resolve it and uh, root out the bad actors. But if you remember the aftermath of the Munich massacre at the uh, 72 Olympics, uh, Israel uh, made it their goal to hunt down and kill every single member of Black September that perpetrated that atrocity, mm -hmm. and they did. 
So Israel has said the same thing about uh, anyone that has perpetrated these kind of attacks on Israeli citizens. Right. Uh, they will pay for what they did. Wow. Well, well, thanks again for keeping us up to date with what's going on. And uh, once again, you can send your questions in for the remainder of the show here. We will get to your questions. Um, so send them in on those various platforms, however you're joining us. We have a question from Adrian. Uh, where do Muslims claim Muhammad is prophesied in the Old Testament? Yeah, um, you're going to hear this a lot if you have uh, opportunities to engage with Muslims. When it comes to like the four or five things they're commanded by rote from their dawah, gandist, I guess is the only way to put it, uh, the way that they engage with Christians is, of course, not just to attack the Christian belief, but also to promote Islam. And in this endeavor called dawah, they want to basically uphold a statement in the Quran that states... Um, again, paraphrasing, but noting the reference to the unlettered prophet whom the Christians and Jews find written with them in their own scriptures. Mm -hmm. So when Muhammad was putting himself forward as a prophet like Moses or Jesus, as he defined that term, of course, it was all centered around him being affirmed in their Bible, in mm -hmm. their Torah, in their gospel, in their uh, Injil. So when you hear Muslims make this claim, understand it's coming from the Quran, and the efforts over the last 14 centuries to find where Muhammad is mentioned in the Christian scriptures have been unfruitful, to say the least, mm. because Muhammad's uh, nickname, among others, was the ear. He believed everything he heard. He didn't actually read anything for himself. He uh, prided himself on being illiterate, in fact. So when it comes to when Muslims are going to make this argument, it's coming from their home religion. Now, the attempts they have made are usually in three categories. Uh, first, a comparison to Moses in Deuteronomy 18. Second, a reference to the Lord coming from Mount Paran and Sinai with 10,000 of his saints. They believe that's a reference to Medina. And the third, a phonic prophecy in Song of Solomon chapter 4. And all of them are, without hesitation, I will say, terrible. Um, starting with the Song of Solomon one, I'll uh, hand this off to you, Dad. When it comes to the prophecy, uh, you know a little bit of Hebrew, so you can give us insights to this. Uh, Song of Solomon, of course, in a conversation between Solomon and, and one of his brides, uh, they <laughs> make a, uh, I guess, drawing into a prophecy where you wouldn't catch unless you knew the original Hebrew. Now, <laughs> I laugh every time I see this, but basically uh, in the, um, the Beloved, which was Solomon's praises of his bride, he says, Behold, you are fair, my beloved. Behold, you are fair, you have dove's eyes. Your uh, lips are like a uh, strand of scarlet. Your mouth is lovely. The temples behind your veil, all on and on it goes. Um, the context of this, by the way, was them uh, complimenting each other's physical beauty during their wedding night. Interesting place to turn for a prophecy. But in this case, they would look to altogether lovely and other sections of this chapter as well and narrow in on that word. Now, in Hebrew, the word altogether lovely or beloved, what would that word be in Hebrew? It would be machmadim. Right. right. Now, the Muslim argument, I'm not kidding, Zakir Naik, Ahmed Didat, Shabir Ali, they've been putting this forward intentionally as if it actually is proving a point and say, well, Mahmadim sounds like 
Muhammad. Therefore, it's a prophecy of Muhammad. And they would base the entirety of the final authority on all Abrahamic religion on that. What are some problems with what's called the phonic fallacy here? Uh, Because uh, Mahmudim and Muhammad uh, are as far apart uh, as, as far as their meaning, as far as their roots and everything else. One is Arabic and one is Hebrew, for instance. Yeah, the uh, common response from people who engage with Islam is to say, okay, well, if that's the rules you're going to play on our end, let's make you play, play by those rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, just off the cuff, I, I know it, but uh, do you know the Hebrew word for mouse? No. Okay, it's uh, Akbar, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Maybe you already see where I'm going with this. Uh, in Islam, the battle cry Muhammad would, of course, cheer in order to declare a supremacy over all of the religions, the claim, God is the greater, or Allahu Akbar. Now, in Hebrew, the word Akbar is mouse. So this is actually a new revelation that Allah is a mouse. No Muslim, intoxicated or otherwise, is going to grant that. So why is it that our Bible has to play by those dumb rules, whereas your Quran and Hadith and Sunnah wouldn't entertain that for even a second? So it's a terrible argument. The second is in Deuteronomy 18, where it says in verse 15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses speaking, from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. Now they'll stop right there and go, well, Muhammad had a lot of things in common with Moses. You see, like Muhammad was a military leader and a spiritual leader, Moses was also a military and religious leader. Like Muhammad had two biological parents, Moses had two biological parents, and they would make this deliberate distinction and say, this couldn't be applying to Jesus, this has to be applying to Muhammad because it makes Moses the reference. However, they're banking on you only reading the first half of that verse because it goes on to say, not just from your midst, from among your brethren, meaning who? The Hebrews, and they'll have a response for that, we'll get into it in a second, but the entire book goes on to explain what is meant like Moses. The last chapter, the concluding verse of Deuteronomy, say what? There has not risen a prophet like Moses whom the Lord spoke to face to face. Correct? Right. Now, you can read the Hadith narrations, you can read the Quran through to through, and no one in history has ever spoken to Allah face to face. Moses, unfortunately, they aren't, they aren't too consistent with that because it does say Allah appeared to them in a fire, which dismantles their claim that Allah can't enter into creation, and that's why he couldn't become a man, but that's another topic. The argument is to eisegete, what we call, to isolate, to read into the text. Well, like Moses, I'll make a bunch of vague references over here and say these are things that Moses and Muhammad had in common instead of letting the text explain what that means. Now, you make the argument, I have, well, it says from among their brethren. Well, Muhammad was from the tribe of Ishmael, and he was the biological brother of, of uh, Isaac. So obviously them both being brothers, Ishmael would count as being from Abraham, would they not? Which is ridiculous already at face value, but let's just take this in stride. Where in the Quran does it say that Muhammad was a descendant from Ishmael? The claims made... But where does it give a genealogy tying him back to Muhammad? It doesn't. It doesn't. 
In fact, the earliest of the Hadith narrations only tie him back to certain individuals noted at the time of Abraham, so take that what you will. They make the assumption, the assertion, notice that trend, that, oh, well, Arabs, all Arabs are descendant of Ishmael. So if Muhammad says he's an Arab, that means he's descendant of Ishmael. Prove it. Jesus went out of his way to make a clear reference to his genealogies and did so in order to verify he was a significant spiritual figure. Why didn't your prophet? So if you're going to make these claims, back it up with evidence, which the Quran has none. Uh, so just be prepared for those wiggle rooms and loopholes. They're going to stress you out. They're going to keep repeating points, but understand this is where they're going to go. The third one, again, is just as pathetic, but I think worth mentioning as well. In the book of Isaiah, it mentions the Lord came from Teman, from Mount Pierre, with ten thousands of his saints. This is also referenced in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, and they'd say, well, see, that's Muhammad, because he entered into Mecca with an army of ten thousand. Well, the problem with that is who's mentioned in the prophecy? The Lord. Now, are you saying that Muhammad's God? Yeah, that is a problem, isn't it? <laughs> so... This is what you're going to be dealing with, isolating verses, misrepresenting passages, and they have to because it needs to be in there, because the only other alternative is that Islam is wrong, that Muhammad didn't know what he was talking about. Or even better, that Allah didn't know what he was talking about as he spoke these things to Muhammad, because apparently he didn't know that Muhammad isn't mentioned anywhere in our scriptures. Oh, well, actually, you know what, let me correct that. There are prophecies about Muhammad. Did you know that? In the Bible, there are... Uh, prophecies predicting the coming of people, not just like Muhammad, but Muhammad in particular. And that is, of course, in the book of 1 John, chapters 2 and 4, the Antichrist, <laughs> yes. those who deny that Jesus mm. is the Christ, those who deny that Jesus has come in the flesh, those who deny the deity, the resurrection, the trinity, these things are, of course, true about Muhammad. So if we're going to entertain these conversations, be prepared for them, be willing to at least have the patience to hear them out, but understand that they aren't necessarily lying. They've been handed this by people who have no problem lying in the name of their religion because the Quran itself commands them to. In order to uphold the safety of the Islamic community, they're encouraged to engage in what's called taqiyah, or deception. So if you run into these kinds of people, be ready to give a, a, a defense, a reason for the hope that is within you with meekness and fear, but understand as well that these things aren't as uh, powerful as they'll present themselves to be, because that's what their culture prides themselves on, making a show of confidence, even mm. though the substance is just about as meaningful as what you see here. Mm. Got it. Thank you. There Thank you go. Yeah. But aside from that, there's a lot of evidence for Muhammad in the Bible. That's right. <laughs> yeah, false prophets come to distort the gospel. Yeah, that's right. Well, Adrian, thank you for that question. I hope that helps you out with that. Um, had a uh, question from uh, Kevin, and, and be praying for Kevin. He's recovering from a, a very uh, a significant surgery. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, he's in recovering, but it's a difficult recovery, so be praying for Kevin. He's a regular on our show here. Um, but he asked, how would you respond to this claim? Apparently his roommate kind of reposted something on this. Jesus was not a Christian. He is not the founder of Christianity. Jesus never encouraged people to worship him. Christianity is a religion created later, mostly by Paul and later church councils in the name of Jesus and is much different from the truth that Jesus taught and lived. Uh, were Jesus alive today, he would not be a Christian. Jesus is still one of the best kept secrets because his truth has been grossly distorted by those who claim to speak for him. There is a religion-free Jesus who belongs to all of humankind. Christianity does not 
own or have first rights to Jesus. His truth has universal significance. It's a mistake to make Jesus a religious figure or front man for Christianity. You have to disentangle Jesus from what you heard at church to find the truth he said would set you free. Far out, man. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> now, um, no, let well, me... Well, go ahead. Yeah, let me jump on one of those points. You're saying Christianity was invented by Paul. Well, obviously, the disassociation between Paul and the original eyewitnesses of what Jesus said and did and how he verified those claims were obviously something intentional on the part of whoever made this interesting series of paragraphs. Um, I think the best way to do that is to go to the scriptures themselves, the writings of Paul, and noting that his interactions with the original apostles are important to pay attention to, because he established very positive relationships, not always in terms of social life, but definitely in doctrine, what they claimed about Jesus, then they would want to give you credit for. And this is the book of Galatians chapter 2, where instantly enough, he went to those who were of reputation and that's in reference to who? The apostles. And that they're named right here, verse 9, of James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, did what? They perceived the grace in uh, that had been given to me, and they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Hebrews, the circumcised. And they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was eager to do. So notice that Paul was not only a contemporary of the original eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, but when they heard the gospel that he had to share to the Gentiles, they weren't sending him out as if he was a cultist or a reformer or someone who was altering the core claims. In fact, if we're going to take a consideration of modern day, if we were to send out a missionary, uh, say for instance, uh, getting our good friend uh, I guess, uh, is a plane fare to Egypt and so forth, would we do so if we knew he was a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon? Probably not. So yeah. if that's then the case, why then does, in Peter's last letter, towards the very end of his life before his execution, in Second Peter chapter 3, refer to Paul's writings as divine scripture? Mm -hmm unless he believed that God was also speaking the truth through him just as much as they were from him. So that's outright ahistorical and deceptive. But if we're going to, I guess, appeal to the same kind of manipulation tactics he's trying to put forward, it all stands or falls on whether or not he's able to put up or shut up regarding the true Jesus teachings. Whereas we have original eyewitness accounts right here. And if you're going to say, oh, well, they were changed, the argument is where and when. You say, oh, well, they were politically uh, presented at later councils, like the Council of Nicaea. We have extensive notes in the Rudder of Ecumenical Councils of what happened at the Council of Nicaea. Where did that happen? The evidence isn't on your side, but if you can put forward an information and write a book, I guess it's all too eager uh, an audience to eat this stuff up because they're not concerned with truth. The fact of the matter is the historical claims of Jesus of Nazareth are what make up Christianity. And that it is true that Jesus wouldn't be a Christian because you don't follow yourself. You're kind of leading the conga line, so to speak, right? But if the claims that he made, that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God has revealed himself as a trinity of which he was the second member, that salvation is through him alone, alone, as he said to the eyewitnesses, not to Paul, not written by Paul, but affirmed by Paul from the eyewitness accounts themselves, that no one comes to the Father except through me. That wasn't written by Paul, that was written by 
John, who was writing those words as he was quoting them from Jesus. Remember that guy? Mm-hmm. And, of course, that we get all this information from these scriptures. That's Christianity. If you deny those things, then you deny Christianity. You aren't following Christ. If you make up a Christ, like Islam, for example, and says Jesus was never crucified, look it up in Surah 457. Well, then we have a historical claim to check because all the people who were there said he was crucified. Mm. All the pagans who were there noted he was crucified within the lifetimes of the eyewitnesses. Suddenly a guy comes along 600 years later and says it never happened. Well, that's his Jesus. I don't care. You can say, oh, well, there's a Hindu Jesus. Once again, I don't care. Guru means something specific and it's direct contradiction to the Hebrew Messiah. On and on it goes. But if you actually know the facts, you aren't going to be manipulated by these things. The fact of the matter is, the moment someone says, oh, Paul or the church councils are trying to, you know, distort Christianity, first you have to make separation between him and the eyewitnesses possible, which the original documents say is not true, but you also have to read things into those church councils, which was never true, even if we're not necessarily fans of the conclusions they made in them. Yes, the Council of Trent did a lot of additions to the scriptures, but not alterations. The first major alteration to the biblical text and doctrine was the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society's New World Translation, which was done in the last 200 years, and no Greek text agrees with how they handle it. So, mm. Yeah. Anything to add? Yeah. Um, first of all, I think uh, one of the most important points that you could share with your friend is, uh, yeah, Jesus would not call himself a Christian because the word Christian literally means a little Christ. You can't be a little Christ if you are the Christ. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the expression would not be something that would apply to him. Uh, yeah. You know, the other thing that I would say is, uh, you know, when, when someone puts forth, you know, kind of a, a new agey sort of word salad like this and, uh, you know, seems very convinced they understand all of the historical nuance that nobody yeah. else has ever determined before uh, or got from uh, reading Potboiler Dan Brown novels, uh, you know, one of the things that, that you can do is, you know, you can obviously shoot this perspective down you know, fact by fact, because it's literally loaded with falsehoods and distortions and half-truths and boy, they say, and, and, and so on. But, you know, I find that sometimes it's a lot more helpful to be able to see something that is being said kind of as the tenor or the atmosphere of the question and go with that. And this is what I mean in this set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. If what your friend means is we shouldn't uh, base our understanding of Jesus on what our church says, Hmm. I would be the first one to agree with you. Hmm. Uh, One of the things that you often hear me say around here is don't believe this just because I said it. Uh, In Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, we are told that a group of believers at a city called Berea were Hmm. called out and commended by uh, no less a person than Luke, the author of the book of Acts. So they were more noble-minded than those who were at Thessalonica, for they received the word with eagerness and search the scriptures daily to find out if the things Paul was saying was were really so. Yeah. Now, they aren't criticized for that. It's not like uh, you were uh, sending me a <laughs> reference from the Quran where it says, don't ask questions. If you ask questions, you're going to lose your faith. Which was yeah. a threat at the time because yeah. apostasy was punishable by death. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the, the thing I would say is, man, I, I am behind you 100%. Just because a church says something doesn't mean that Jesus said it. Yeah. But how do we determine what Jesus said? 
how do we know who he is? You know, you, you speak very highly of Jesus. You seem to have a right. lot of respect for him. You send, tend to think that he is a gift to the entire world. Mm -hmm. Well, how do we know this? Mm -hmm. You know, what is the best way for us to actually get to know Jesus in a personal way? Mm -hmm. Well, it's by taking a look at the primary documents, the eyewitness accounts of his life, his death, and his resurrection. And, uh, you know, I would just encourage your friend, Patty, you want to see the real Jesus up close and personal, read through the Gospel of John, written by one of his closest associates. He even refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, you know, and, and find out for yourself about Jesus. Not what Oprah Winfrey might think about Jesus, not what Dan Brown might think about Jesus, but what does Jesus have to say about himself? Yeah. As related by those who are closest to him. Not mm -hmm. a church council, not a synod, uh, not uh, you know, a denomination, but Jesus himself. Uh, go to the primary documents and ask yourself this question. Do I believe these are speaking the truth? Because if you say, go to the Gospel of John, you're going to discover some things. You're going to discover what Jesus meant about his, uh, the definition of his own mission. Uh, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. You're going to find just amazing, profound spiritual statements that Jesus himself made. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to find everything necessary to have a living relationship with God from Jesus himself. Not from a church, not from an organization, not from even a podcast like this one. Uh, you're going to find out yourself. And, you know, my dad, who was an attorney, uh, you know, he, at the time that he told us this, he was an atheist. He became a Christian at the end of his life. But, uh, you know, he always told us that truth was found in the marketplace of ideas mm. and that you should never let somebody else make up your mind for you. Mm. You should always seek truth for yourself, come to your own conclusions. Mm. Well, that was the worst thing that an atheist could tell a kid like me because when I was exposed to the truth of Jesus, uh, the thing that blew me away was he wasn't the skinny northern european looking guy i saw in the stained glass images mm. uh you know came across a uh, article from the journal of american medical association on the physical death of jesus that said he was so savage before he got to the cross that you could hardly uh, tell who he was as a human being anymore i'd never heard that before in my life and this thought crossed my mind if i didn't know that about jesus what else don't i know about him mm. and so you know again I, I can't say that I went on some kind of noble quest, but it certainly opened my mind and my understanding to that. And it wasn't too long after that where I was exposed to a key biblical truth. Why did Jesus suffer the way he did? He suffered because he loved us, because he died for us. He paid the price for all of our faults, all of our failures, all of our sin, all of our ugliness, all of our wickedness. He took the just punishment due us upon himself when he died on the cross. And to prove that he is who he claimed, that he was God in human flesh. He said, he who's seen me has seen the Father. He rose from the dead in a moment of history. These primary documents are what you go to to determine these facts. Not to a church, not to a synod, not to a seminary, not to a podcast. You go yourself. And, uh, you know, I would just really encourage uh, your friend. You know, Jesus said, regarding truth especially, if you seek, you're going to find. If you knock, the door's going to be open. If you ask, it's going to be given what you ask for. Have the courage to simply pray a prayer and say, Jesus, if you are real, if you are the true and living God, uh, I want to read this document about your life 
please show me that you're real. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think that's the kind of prayer that God's ever going to turn down. No. But are you gutsy enough to actually pray it right. and follow it wherever it leads? Right. Absolutely. Kevin, thank you for for that. Hope that helps you out. Sounds like a great direction. Um, you want to tackle this yeah. question? Yeah. yeah. Question from Motocross. Uh, can you explain Isaiah 57? one and two, and you're about to see Sean do something really special. Uh, the first two <laughs> verses are mentioning the righteous man going to his death as a result of evil in the city, but he does so in peace. The whole conversation goes to verse 13, where it notes a point of contrast. Both the righteous and the wicked will go to him in judgment, once given peace. But verse 7 notes, well, what about your bed? You set it up high, but you're going to stand before me in judgment. All your righteous works, verses 12 through 13 say, are going to amount to nothing to save you. So it's a point, not saying good people always die. It's going on to say the good people are dying, but so are the bad. And when the good people die, they're in peace. The ones that are evil, they will come to me, and uh, I'm not going to be as happy with them. So Mm. that's the point of that passage. Don't just start with two verses. Make sure you read the whole point. Wow. Time to spare. Impressive. There you go. We're going live again in 30 minutes for our Wednesday evening service. Book of Book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel tonight, yeah. Man, I'll tell you, one of the wildest parts of the book of Ezekiel. If you thought the first couple of chapters of Ezekiel were mind-blowing, wait till you get a load of where we're going in the last eight. It will absolutely blow your mind. We're going to see a view of worship you've probably never seen before. Awesome. Going live again in 30 minutes. Stick around for that. Or come on down, Calvary Christian Fellowship, if you're in the Tucson area. If not, we'll see you tomorrow, same time, same place. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.